0: Welcome back to The Vulture Club with me, Sophie White, one of your hosts. Um, Jen and I are joined this week by Louise Brute, who talks to us about a beautiful piece she's written for RogueCollective.ie on Absent Friends. We also invite Cassie Delaney to unpack Netflix's latest miniseries drop, Unorthodox. In Come Again this week, we discuss the banana bread backlash. We also deep dive into... Kim and Kourtney Kardashian's Cabin Fever Catfight and play Middle Class Lockdown Bingo. People are, I think, ready to be up in arms about fucking anything at the moment. We need to talk banana bread backlash so i've now have you watched the rise and fall of banana bread or am i bringing this to you fresh i have i just have a
1: constant thing you know when you have something in your mind you're like oh yeah i must do this i can't forget that and it keeps being fucking banana bread and i never (laughs) put it there i never have that thought myself it's like an internal instagram ad Keeps flashing before my eyes. Just when I'm not, you know, when I'm just looking, staring out the
0: window, trying to have a moment's peace. And have Mom, you succumbed? Forget the banana bread. Have no, you I succumbed have to lockdown banana bread?
1: Not yet, but I have the bananas blackening away. But I think they tipped over into just liquid, and I'm not touching it. <laughs>
0: um, I've seen it's Just um, it seemed to begin organically. A lot of people turning to banana bread in lockdown and it makes sense it's very basic it's using up produce that is perhaps uh you know heading towards the compost bin Mm and and then it's then the tide turned rapidly on banana bread and people actually started being quite vicious about banana bread which is so funny like um I've seen people complaining on Twitter that social media influencers are really phoning it in with the banana bread shit now. There's an actual, I'm seeing actual ire from some corners in terms of like churning out banana bread content. And I'm just thinking, who has the energy or the emotional bandwidth to be getting this pissed off about banana bread? I t- good question.
1: Uh, people have energy for all manner of things at the moment, that's and it's true. just uh, banana bread is a safe place to put your rage. Mm. I feel like it's
0: okay, it's okay to do that. That's actually a fair point because maybe you're right, maybe the people bitching about banana bread are just funneling that rage away from shouting into the face of a loved one. And if that's <laughs> what banana bread is providing for you right now. then maybe you go right ahead. And also I do, I'm aware that I am, you know, I should probably hold my hands up and uh, admit that I am working for big banana bread. (laughs) And um, I have a banana bread recipe that is out in the world. And I've been seeing people making my banana bread recipe and tagging me. And one part of me is like, don't throw me into this banana bread issue. And then another part of me is like, uh, thank you for buying my book. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for supporting my work. But um, the banana bread memes on uh, Twitter. where the, Whatever side of the banana bread debate you fall, we all can enjoy a good meme. I enjoy this tweet from at Nikesh Kovarji. Gave in to the hype and made banana bread. F- what pictured is one of the most horrific images, I'd say, on <laughs> the internet. It's two pieces of white bread some banana between the two and what looks like a thick layer of mayonnaise. That's oh, absolutely disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. I'm enjoying, um, <laughs> a lot of people are kind of equating the banana bread craze to the head shaving phrase. And, um, is that a thing? Yes, yeah, a lot of people are doing, you know, the old lockdown head shave. I mean, I suppose if you've, if you've always wondered about shaving your head, this is the time. No better time. No better time. You and it can, is a DIY haircut that you can do at home. It's you a thing you probably can't fuck it up. You can barely fuck it up. And like, if you literally have always wondered, you're like, oh, maybe I do have the bone structure of Natalie Portman under all this hair. Now, my friends, is the time. And uh, yeah, now having said that, like, like the zero fucking it up, I do contest because. And Seb has done me the solid of shaving my undercut for me. um, And I came out looking like a plucked chicken. I've got a really good one here uh, from Ash Flick Everett. Middle class lockdown bingo. Play here. Do you want to to play it with me? Let's do it. Okay, I'll I'll shout out some and and you shout bingo when you've done the thing. Or we'll both do it. Okay, so um, tea. Bingo. What do you mean? Make tea? Just having tea. Fine, no bingo. Really? Oh yeah, of course, you and your weird hop beverage thing. So strange. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Meditation? Nah, no,
1: no nah, bingo. Nah. Sorry, sorry, this game I've lost.
0: You, you just say nothing. I'll okay, we'll things. just, <laughs> let's say. No bingo, here. <laughs> no, no, let's say, fuck off. Oh, <laughs> have sorry, we haven't done it. Okay, so meditation, fuck, fuck off. off. Educational walks? Bingo. What's we'll an educational walk? Oh, it's triangle. a walk where I try to pretend it's an extension of homeschool. Fine. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> Crafts? Bingo. No. Bingo. Ordering from independent shops. Yes, I heavily bingo this one. Bingo. Doing Joe Wicks, P.E. Fuck no off. No, bingo. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, videoing your street clapping. Fuck off. Fuck off. Now, this next one, the mirror and the light. I don't know what that refers to. Definitely. Oh my god. And we are the most heavily middle class people there are. Moving yeah. on. Drinks on Zoom. Bingo. Bingo. I mean I haven't had the drink, but I've had the Zoom. Uh, sourdough starter. I think it counts if there's one in your house, Jen. Bingo. Fuck off. There's there's so
1: much in my house that I've neighbors calling by for squirts in a, in cups. <laughs> oh. Gives a gives a go of your goo there.
2: Gives and, a, bit and of a
1: don't have the goo. goo. People are meeting in car parks with flat. I mean, it's no longer
0: (laughs) the trade
1: is in sourdough starter. The
0: sourdough starter is the cigarettes in prison of lockdown. Is what Mm. you're telling us. Cassie Delaney is joining us on the Vulture Club this week. It's Hi guys. Exciting. Does everyone know who Cassie is? Uh,
3: everybody does, yeah. Okay. They're probably, to... They're probably listening to you guys because they've seen that my name's on the podcast now. So they're coming along to oh, they'll
0: be you, yeah, w- check w- out the two you guys. <laughs> so I should be like,
3: this is Jen and Sophie, these uh these podcasters. They're endorsed now. There
0: you go. You, you sound like the voice of God. <laughs> Is anyone else getting that? No, what do you mean? It, it's just kind of, this is Cassie Delaney. I awesome. think it's just wherever you are, it's just like... Very close to the microphone. Yeah, there's just a, there you go. There's just a gravitas, a natural gravitas that Cassie Delaney brings to anything she works on. Uh, so Cassie, you've come in to chat to us about unorthodox Netflix's uh, miniseries that's just landed. I think it's just absolutely fascinating.
3: Yes. So you the, finish it. I have finished it. I I watched, um, didn't realize it was only four episodes. I would have totally committed to watching all four episodes in one had I known. I started watching it. They're about, what, 50 minutes mm-hmm. long? Mm. Um, so I watched one and then I um, watched uh, the other three in one sitting. Um, I just thought it was so brilliantly produced such an interesting story netflix and um netflix have kind of been known to offer perspectives on life that we don't see in mainstream media because of you know they can do that because they're a subscription-based platform Mm. and i thought it was fantastic that they used this opportunity to tell the story of um the this community in williamsburg um but obviously it's did you watch have you guys finished it
0: Yes. I haven't finished it. Okay. Loved every minute of it. But I know the book of old, and if it's, and it kind of sticks close enough to the book, then I kind of feel I'm not concerned about spoilers. I read it when it came out, so that's like eight years ago or something. Yeah, and I just remember being fascinated by the author. Uh, her name is Deborah Feldman, and um, it's her book, Unorthodox: The Scandalous Rejection of My Hasidic Roots, that um, that the whole uh, mini series is based on, and. Um, Obviously, her book was like extensively covered when it came out um, and absolutely fascinating. And um, now it's really interesting seeing it transplanted to the screen. And I think they've done an incredible job.
1: Yes, they have. It's very enjoyable. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I loved every minute of this. I especially loved the main. What's the lead's uh, name?
3: Yeah. Shira has So
0: the actor who's um, who's playing the lead is like mesmerizing, isn't she? absolutely
3: yeah absolutely like a brilliant little brilliant actress um so am i right in saying though that they used parts of deborah's book for the older throwback scenes and that the contemporary story of being in berlin is fictitious
0: and she did move to berlin but yeah i think that it. yeah as far as i recall it's the um the conservatory students and things like that has been added yeah and obviously they've kind of told it as two sort of um Stories we nearly have a kind of a period drama of Williamsburg with the Hasidic community. It feels like you're watching a period drama, and then there's a kind of a really contemporary kind of almost like thriller feel to the scenes in Berlin.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and they've tied them together
0: really well. Mm -hmm. And what I found
3: really interesting about uh, when I learned that that's they did because I hadn't read the book. Really want to go and read the book now. Um, When I discovered because they have a little twenty minutes after special about how they made the series which is a really nice would you you
1: recommend watching that
3: yeah really that's that's because they made the experience universal so they took you know um obviously we have no understanding of what it's like to live in an orthodox jewish community but the uh i suppose the burden of oppression on her and then releasing that burden by going to berlin and pursuing this dream of going to the the school of music became such a universal relatable dream that you really bought into it and you were really behind Esty and like it was just it was like to- oh my god the scene where she's auditioning it was so emotional it was absolutely just so brilliant so during the audition this is what I mean about the like the relatability of it and the the human just how human it is is that like in her last scene where she's auditioning we she's obviously singing a song in Yiddish and we don't understand what the lyrics are but it's so um her performance is so profound and so emotional that like you follow it and you feel it and like I was bawling even though i fucking clue. she could have been singing twinkle twinkle at the star for all I know <laughs> you know they've just they've just created something so special I think I think that they their Netflix are the real um the the market leaders like the real people to look to in terms of uh, representing now minority voices. Really, yeah,
1: yeah, you're probably right about that because I guess they have the scope to do it. They have the budgets, and yeah. ultimately, they have the money and the audience. So and they're not as kind
0: of centralized as Hollywood is. Just very kind of like it's as, as um. As the director, actually, of Parasite said, made the point that, like, Hollywood is local. It's basically just very kind of insular and local. Um, And Netflix have, like, been scouting and, like, have cast that net wide from the off, pretty much. They have a really interesting um, film hitting or dropping uh, next month called Tiger Tail that I cannot wait for. Have you guys heard anything about it yet? No. It's the the showrunner of Master of None. And um, it's, uh, he's, um, he's Asian American and he is very, he's kind of exploring his kind of dad's story as a kind of, um, you know, uh, coming into America and making a life and being that kind of like first generation immigrant in America. Yeah. Um, but just having loved Master of None um, and like all the kind of voices he brought to the fore in Master of None who have now gone on to do great things like Lena, Lena Waith. And people like that, I'm kind of, I'm really interested in Tiger Tail to see, um, to see what it's like. I think it's going to be really good. But yeah, you're so right. They are really, really good at kind of um, exploring just slightly left of center narratives and societies and stuff.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think that the thing is, when you work in media or create media, like... People only ever want to see themselves reflected back in the media that we watch and consume, whatever, because media helps us understand the world better. And by understanding the world better, we can understand ourselves better. Um, So when you see yourself or see what you're experiencing in a film or in a TV show, it normalizes it and it makes it okay. And if we continue down the path of only showing beautiful Hollywood, white, blonde people succeeding and doing wonderful things and being funny and and having being in very heteronormative situations then like that's it's not oppressive but it's it's um it doesn't I suppose it it doesn't uh develop it's exclusionary, society in any it's exclusionary yeah, yeah. And it doesn't um it doesn't lead to the advancements of society or ideas or uh liberal ways of living at all so to be have a platform that is as renowned and, and uh, you know, massive as Netflix, be the people who are saying, actually, we're going to tell these stories. We are going to tell the stories you didn't even know you cared about. And we're going to tell them in a way that's going to make them relatable to everybody. It is fucking powerful. Like it's incredible. And now all of a Here sudden I care about the oppression of Orthodox Jewish women. And last week I didn't even know it was a thing. I knew it was a thing, but I never thought about
0: it, you know? Do you know what's interesting, though, that um, with Unorthodox, they're exploring a community that won't respond to it. Um, What do you guys think of that? Because, you know, obviously in scenes in Unorthodox, for example, we kind of are given insight into just how insular um, this society is when Moishe takes out his smartphone that he has for business and Yanni, the uh, um, SD's husband, is like... You have an internet on that. Like, you know, just it really rammed home kind of just exactly how um, much of a kind of a, I suppose, a, a sort of a, a different time they are living in. And yeah. nobody and thought, from that community will respond, I guess, having not, you um, won't see this.
3: Yes. Although in that little bit afterwards, they do say that a lot of the team are um, are Israeli Jewish mm. and they are talking, they kind of address that in that little piece afterwards because I suppose that would have been one of the biggest backlogs. It's like you can't tell the story of a community from the outside. Totally. You have to be within it. And I think they worked with Deborah so closely to uh, to write the series and create the story that it was mm. very clear that the director, the writer and Deborah were working together on it from the start. Like that's where the concept for the show originated from it was Mm. deborah turning around to the director and saying why don't you turn my book into a tv show and so i think they have addressed that i think they've been very cautious to cast people who have experience of the jewish community and they've they've talked about how they've addressed um the other things that they're saying that it was challenging because they were filming scenes with traditions and rituals that they didn't understand but they tried to treat it with the most um sensitivity that they could and did everything that they could and endeavored to discover everything they could about those to portray them in an accurate way but yeah you've created it and you've put it out on a platform that orthodox Jews probably aren't going to engage with and aren't going to watch but like with anything and like with change in any community there's always a you know there's a crack somewhere where new information gets in that's how change happens you know there's someone who's slightly rebellious or there's someone who questions authority they access information and they start sharing it so no they might not be sitting down watching netflix but now that there's a greater awareness and a greater um i suppose uh greater exposure to potentially what's happening in that community there'll be more pressure to examine it from the inside you can't ignore that external
0: pressure i guess I suppose it's just, um, you know, it's it's tricky because we're trusting Deborah Feldman um, kind of to relay to us um, life inside a Hasidic community. And she Mm -hmm. is obviously, you know, someone who has completely rejected that. And, you know, I think it's just kind of something to probe. And it's just very interesting that there is rare pockets of our society um, that are so um, kind of insular and isolated
3: yeah and I think that obviously that happens a lot when people share um deeply personal memoirs that are kind of from within communities like that like it happened with Tara Westover's Uneducated Mm -hmm. that after she released that there was a lot of um I suppose disputing of the facts and what had happened but my view on it is that um if if the author is authentically telling that story as it happened to them then you can't Uh, undermine those experiences so even if those experiences that deborah went through may not have been um may not have been standardized rituals or behaviors of the community there's still things that she experienced as a side effect of being a part of that community and that's something that you can't undermine like that's her own that's it's her truth so that makes it true um as long as she's telling it from a point of of authenticity and i i think that like I think that they are, because I don't think that they're very, they're not entirely critical of Orthodox Jews. They're not critical of the community. They're showing that they, um, you know, that, that there are these traditions. There's, yeah, you know, Etsy in the, in the show is unhappy, but there are plenty of happy people depicted in the community. Absolutely, and there are yeah. of people, and even like, her own there's certain things that she says throughout the time that like I believe this and I want family and all that kind of things that like her own inherent beliefs and family is everything and um, there are obviously scenes then where you learn little bits uh of like her mother's backstory and stuff mm. that you're kind of like that's not right but um you know they're not they're not the show isn't about criticizing the community it's not to tear down the beliefs of of orthodox Jews it's to depict this one woman's experience and why her, why she didn't fit into it. And mm. even at the start from the very beginning, when she first meets Yankee, her, um, her husband, she says, I'm not like the other girls. And I like, yeah. she's differentiating herself from the community in that way. So I think the story really is about how like you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. It's that like, she doesn't fit in there. It's her experience of being unhappy
0: and it's her journey out of it rather than no woman fits in there Yeah, the show doesn't kind of wholesale um, kind of denigrate the um, Hasidic way of life or anything like that. It doesn't even, as you say, it doesn't even attempt to really like make a comment or stage an argument against. It's just actually quite subjective, isn't it? And there's like, as you say, there's real beauty um, in the scenes in the Hasidic community and there are like well-formed, well-developed characters in that community and actually a lot of those characters are the women more so than the men in fact if anybody seems passive um, in the depiction it's actually the kind of men they're dominant but they equally are quite passive to the storyline a bit did you notice that the way like her grandmother for example and her mother-in-law are big drivers of the narrative in unorthodox
3: oh absolutely yeah yeah and that the pressure
0: to conform to the community actually comes from the other women within it I also think like, as we were saying earlier about depicting the community that like you aren't uh, directly a part of and things like that. Have you read, there was an interesting interview with Deborah Feldman in the New York Times this week, and they were talking about the kind of pursuit of accuracy. And um, so, for example, you know, the fur hats um, worn in the show, they're called, sh- oh, I'm going to say this wrong, but shrimels. Yeah. So they're made of mink um in real life and they're very expensive. And shops would not have sold them for use in a, a TV show. Yeah. Um, you know, so like you know, they made kind of fake ones that they were trying to look real. I suppose it's just worth noting that, that was something that level of accuracy was something that they were at least striving for, even if they couldn't actually um yeah. do it.
3: Totally. And like I suppose we have to be considerate of like how you know, I have a real issue of like people who come from with outside communities and try and tell that community how to do something better or Mm. how to live or like how they should be portrayed or the rights they should be fighting for or whatever. Because Mm. I think change to be authentic and to be uh, sustainable has to happen from within. It has to happen from within a community and it has to be wanted and not something that a a savior comes along and tells you that you need. And so... I do think that they've achieved that with this series. It would be a totally different story if the cast hadn't had been your regular Hollywood people, or if they had um, not included Deborah in the in the creation of the actual show, and it was more that they had taken the work and kind of translated it into, into something else. I think that it's just a really, really good example of like how we should all be how we should all be trying to create media and how we should be telling the stories of this world that we live in.
0: So it feels sort of kind of silly now to to move from there to the Kardashians. Uh, Yeah, in the edit, we can move from Kardashians to there if we want. I know, I know, whatever. be like, speaking of another insular community, the Kardashians. We could, that's the perfect segue. It's happened. I've done it. Go. It's already happening, Jen.
1: Uh, Tell us what they're up to. There was a humongous fight. It was upsetting to watch. Crazy. It felt, you would expect, having just heard about it, that this was a setup and it's clearly bullshit, and everybody was acting. That's not at all what it looked like watching it. This is season 18. of oh, yes. keeping up with the Kardashians. Phenomenal length of time. Now, I must also tell you that figures were waning. Uh-huh. They have recently, E is the, net, is the network they're on, and they've recently switched days. I believe it used to be on Sunday, mm. historically. They switched it to Thursday, indicative of things needing a shake-up or it's not going as well as it was, I guess. Totally. Maybe you wanted to put it out a the slot, whatever. Anyway, all of these things kind of coincided with this humongous event. As a way to hook you in, they just do half the fight at the end of the first and the re- next episode is just talking, the other half of the fight and then
0: talking about the fight. So, Amazing. here's the scene. Never You're not in- with an eye on the content.
1: Absolutely. The, the, with the stage is set, do you know who Courtney is? So, she's the eldest one.
0: Yeah. She's yeah. very small, like doll-like. Totally. I'm with you.
1: Then there's Kim, who we know. And then there's Courtney, right?
0: <laughs> Chloe. Chloe. <So. laughs> that was the best, though. I just would have believed it, too, though. If like, <laughs> and then there's Kim again. And... <laughs> And then the very youngest, Courtney, again. <laughs> so here's the scene.
1: The three of them on a couch, uh, like salubrious, expensive couch. There's a bit of a rub going on. Courtney, the eldest one, is pissed off. She doesn't really want to do this shit anymore. She's had enough of this bullshit. Um, camera people falling around, all, everyone up in her business. Yeah, Kim's 13 like years. You're making all of the money this way. This is a job. Look at it like a job. Do your fucking job. Come to work. Do your job. Courtney, sorry, no, Chloe, the one in the middle, silent, looking from lady to lady. So it's sort of it's kind of going that way. Then Kim says to to Courtney, the eldest one, Would you ever just shut up and do your job? And Courtney loses her mind and they have a physical altercation, like a vicious one to the side of the head and then knee to the groin levels. And then scratching, running down a corridor and um, Chloe, meanwhile, like, please, what are you doing? This is crazy. Uh, like initially it started off like what well, could have been a joke. And then it escalated into a very uncomfortable viewing experience.
0: Oh, my God. And can we also just say Kim was really dressed for this fight? She was wearing like a like, sort of was it are we talking plastic catsuit? Trousers. Right. Ah, from the clip I was watching, it looked full Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman. Like, just obviously with natural (laughs) claws. Well, it was
1: a tremendously weird thing to view. If, you know, everyone has scraps now and again. This
0: was really a good kind of
1: massive scrap. It's it very strange. Yeah, it was, it was actually really very strange.
0: Weird. I felt really weird watching it. I was like, "This is an assault."
1: Yeah, it really was. I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, "If somebody outside the family had done any, like a ten percent of what this, what I'm looking at, to them, the person would be in jail."
0: Absolutely. So, and Courtney's screaming is quite like hysterical, like a very, very disturbed, upset person. And yeah, uh, but since Courtney has
1: left the show. So she kind of stuck around at the end of the episode. they went um, on a trip, Courtney and Kim, to sort of patch it all up a bit. It was uh, a trip to Armenia. It was to draw kind of attention to the genocide there. Yeah. Courtney was in a big stinker the whole trip. Again, pissed off because she didn't want to do the work be on the show. All I can say is, well, the production end of that. Imagine being the fucking sound guy or guy just there in the room, so uncomfortable, everyday awkwardness about them, this lady not wanting you to be here, you being here, everything about it is awkward. It's just so, anyway, so no,
0: surreal. It's madness. So yeah. Courtney has
1: packed it in. She's left the show. It's all over.
0: And left in her. the best way possible. So did you see this? That um, yeah. it, it, she, The news was revealed initially in a reply to an Instagram comment. Oh, I didn't
1: see that. Yeah,
0: so the uh, Instagram commenter wrote on a post, "Courtney just needs to quit the damn show." Adding, "I'm not her. I'm not. I'm over her not wanting to film." Courtney gets in there. I did. Bye, and hits her. Bye. See ya. Um, see ya. And then later, obviously. Um, Took kind of a bit more time with the statement (laughs) and wrote, took a lot to get there, but choose happiness always. It's easy to forget what really matters. It's been years of build-up. Yeah, you could sort of tell. If you've watched the series up to now, it's been
1: years of build-up. There's been a big shift in popularity. I think it was a few episodes ago, maybe two episodes ago, they had a kind of meeting with the team. And they had ranked their popularity oh, and what they kind of, you know what I mean? It's very it's pretty pretty harsh stuff and Courtney was just absorbing all of this knowledge that people disliked her and didn't like her attitude. Like the whole thing is weird. And then it kind of knitting into the fact that they're I don't know. I think, have we all just had enough? I think we should have had enough by
0: now. We really need to have had enough by now, but have we? I mean, I just, I'm, we're watching. I'm, I've retuned into this. So have I. And that's bad <laughs> and bad and we shouldn't be doing it. But, you know, COVID-19 leads us to do things we wouldn't usually do. Like scream at strangers who are walking too close. And exactly. um, I, uh, I think it's so sad because now I'm just like, oh, we all thought that like, Courtney was just a miserable bitch, but she was a miserable bitch because she was being made to play the role of Courtney on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, mm-hmm. and like Courtney could have been possibly the greatest Kardashian had the show not been going on. It's funny, kind of it. what it says, isn't it? Yeah, She also had so much personal fallout on this show of any of them, like with you know her partner Scott, crazy, crazy, Dissick. Disick. Disick kids i don't know i just feel like she has potentially kind of gained the least and had the most exposure in a totally way totally agree she, we think? watched
1: her give birth to her babies didn't we i remember that distinctly in
0: my in yeah. my mind like she's basically she given it all up to the cameras and um, but has never been a kim no exactly kind of. is that it and is like that being
1: the eldest child in a family the fucking annoyance of having my younger siblings outperform me in every aspect of their life that's very fucking annoying and she has to suffer through that daily
0: oh and imagine some panel of market researchers telling you that people preferred kim kardashian to you oh i mean shocking. the final insult I just keep watching people smoke cigarettes on TV and being like, maybe I'll just get a cigarette. I might just get a smoke today. Yeah. Smoke. Which yeah. is such a weird way place to take it. Because no. it brings you outside, I suppose. It brings you
1: outside. you just, it's you're just some kind
0: of a sort of treat. A it's anything. Yeah. Anyway, listen, can we talk about what a treat it was to read Lou piece that's appearing on Rogue this weekend?
1: Well, it was a treat.
0: And if you want to commend my segue, feel free. Oh, okay. (laughs) Commending your segue currently. Thank you. Consider it commended. Can I read, would it be mortifying to you, Louise Bruton, who has joined us this week on The Vulture Club? Would it be mortifying if I read a little tiny extract?
2: Uh, I had to record myself reading it yesterday so nothing could be as bad as hearing that back so please fire
0: ahead oh my god of course it's available on audio that is so nice and such a nice way to experience this piece because it's such an evocative piece
2: uh please evoke something else because I, I don't know what I was evoking when I read it so evoke
0: evoke away I'm gonna go with silliness is my favorite state to be in and I'm lucky to be friends with an incredibly silly bunch a bunch who can produce several new characters at the drop of a hat for a bit I'm not just in love with my friends, but I'm in love with all the voices that live in their heads too. I just, um, I think like basically it just reminded me of my friends. It just will immediately remind everyone of their people and the people who obviously we are now only kind of communicating with through very stilted digital mediums. And uh, what kind of brought you to the point of writing the piece? Because I know you kind of set out to write about nights out and then it kind of evolved.
2: Um, yeah, I think everybody is just thinking of one of the biggest kind of realizations that's come into us is that even when things start to go back to normal, fun as what we knew before isn't going to be the first thing that like lands on our doorstep. Um, so I've just been kind of like thinking back at best times and figuring out what, we're, what are the things that actually make nights so special. Yeah. Um, so I just started putting together all of my favorite memories and putting them into kind of one night, but there, cause there is just no one night. It's just all these like different fragments, different portions of the night where we've all been like our best selves and our most city selves. Um, and it's always the same people that get involved. It's just this thing of, Joe you know those friends that you can look across a room and you know what they're thinking about, you just catch their eye and they're kind of like, let's go and have fun elsewhere. Let's stop talking to these other bozos who don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> and because um, myself and so many of my friends, we all work um, at music festivals in some form, or some like some shape, um, that's kind of been taken away from us. So the thing that we love the most is, like, we love working really hard and we also love like playing really hard and those things go hand in hand with festivals. And even though not all of them have canceled yet this summer, like they're more than likely going to be cancelled and that's our favourite time of the year that's what we kind of in winter that's kind of what we store up in our memories to look forward to mm. um so that's what I'm kind of that's what we're doing now except we're going to have to like project all of that into September or whatever it is that that freedom as we kind of like fully know it is hopefully returns
0: totally and you really capture the kind of uh, I suppose the kind of those nights just feel boundless and you know like it's the anything can and will happen kind of. And the, like you said, the magic is never necessarily where you are at all. And um, like what that piece made me really think about was making a human pyramid on somebody's balcony off Camden Street at like two in the morning years ago. And somebody in the uh, apartments I think that was, was that my hen? Was it your hen? The end, maybe it was like the tail end, like the, the depths of the night of your hen. Yeah. And somebody from one of the higher up apartments fucked a basin of water down on top of us to shut us up. Um, and rightly like, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, they should have been lauding us. I was on the bottom of that pyramid, nine women. It was pretty impressive. But um, yeah, it's just like, it's mad how you kind of don't anticipate missing this kind of thing because you think we're still talking, we're still in the WhatsApp, like, are you really feeling that kind of lack?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely am. And it's that thing of like, do you know how hard it is normally to kind of schedule to get like all of the same best people in the one space? Like it's so hard. And as you get older, like that time kind of slips away more from you as people kind of get married and have kids or move to different countries or have different jobs or different kind of shift work, um, things going on in their lives. So when you do have that moment where you have like an entire night or an entire weekend just to have fun with your friends like you really kind of hold on to that and now is that time as well because it's been taken away from us in in a much kind of grander way much bigger way um and the thing with like zoom like all the things online it feels draining it's not I'm not really getting a lot of, I'm not like getting a lot back from like group Zooms because I find it quite mm. exhausting because you're still at your laptop. Like I'm not on my laptop all day anyway. Mm. Um, it's affecting my posture. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> there's all these things happening with Zoom and it's that thing of like, you're not really getting, you're not getting sparks. You're having, you're getting anecdotes and you're getting tidbits and, and you notice maybe that somebody's who's normally quite is stays silent the entire time. So there is that thing of, um, we're not. We're not getting our, our the full weight of our friends because we can't. Like that's it. That's the thing that's been taken away from us. We we do not have that full interaction. And the more and more that I realise that's what I miss. That's how much I know I had it well. And I'm really just appreciating that. And there's such a there has been a kind of re-establishment of connection with certain people because you are talking to the people that you that mean the most to you, even if you they're not the people that you see all the time normally. Mm you are really that's who you're reaching out to and they're the people who are reaching back to you even if you haven't spoken to them in a very long time or haven't seen them in a very long time you you know the kind of richness that you bring to each other and even if it's acting I think that that's really reassuring that you know that you have these people in your lives like you if you reach out to these people when you're feeling low they're it, they're your people. Like that's so important. They're not just there for like the, the city times, they're times the really serious and kind of dour times. So I have been finding kind of with a lot of the Zoom chats when it has to be like, oh, let's be crazy on a Friday night, even though we can't leave the house. I find that really draining, but I'm really enjoying the level of connect, connection with um, my friends where we know that we need each other. Like that's the bit that I think is important there.
0: It's so true. The kind of bants on Zoom it's performative rather than actually like a, a kind of organic exchange, the way just getting together is. You know, if you open your mouth on Zoom, you have to kind of say something or entertain. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a little pressure. That,
2: you have to wait for that green box to light up to give you the kind of go ahead. So you're a bit like, eh, eh, is this my time? Is this I- my love?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm now stopping and having like 20 minutes you know, distant catch-ups on the street and stuff. It's just like completely brought into focus how important interaction is.
2: I had a really funny one Um, last week. It was one of my friend's birthdays and his girlfriend, what she had done was she had set up like Zoom meetings so we could all kind of Zoom in at either lunchtime or in the evening time. And then she said, anyone who lives by, um, you can go to the shed <laughs> of the from the back of our apartment block and you can zoom some, from there We'll wave from the apartment block. So I live like three minutes away from them. So of course I went to the shed and I was the only person who went to the shed and I was just like loitering around the back garden of their, <laughs> of their um, <laughs> apartment block, zooming into the meeting when everybody else was zooming from the comforts of their living room. <laughs> and um And it was just so funny and it was so weird. And when I left doing that, I was like, God, that made me feel really normal just to be zooming from a shed next to all the bins. Like, that was, (laughs) but like, it was, it was just great. It was just great to have, you know, to be kind of laughing with people in real time. Um, And even for them to be waving at the apartment for me and then like, you know, uh, throwing lollipops at my head. Like, it's great.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming to chat with us, Lou. Thanks, Kyle. Now it's time for Bed In or Bin It's our cultural recommendations. Have I told you about Devs before? No. Have we already talked about it on this? No. So Devs is um, a series that uh, we're actually trying to eke out. We're watching it old school style in real time. So we're waiting each week for the next episode. Oh. And it's kind of, so it's, um, uh, it's by Alex Garland, who wrote The Beach. And uh, did he write Ex Machina? Uh, Never Let Me Go, uh, not the, he wrote the film, not the actual book of um, uh, Never Let Me Go. But he's very kind of like sci-fi guy, bit kind of like nihilistic. So basically exactly what you want in your COVID content. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, he wrote Ex Machina uh, with um, that bloody lovely man, Donald Gleason. Did you watch that movie? Of course I did. Oh, it's so brilliant. I love that. So anyway, he's written this show called Debs and um, it's very good. I'm really enjoying it. It's basically set in a kind of Silicon Valley style kind of company called Amaya. And um, it's run by this eccentric, uh, you know, billionaire CEO, a uh, bit of a kind of um, Zuckerberg, bit of a, you know, Adam Newman, one of those lads. And he's played by Nick Offerman. Basically, a girl um, who's working for the company, her partner, uh, Sergei, um, kind of goes missing um, when he is uh, promoted into a new job. In, um, in, the, in the company. And the new job is in the like devs facility. It's like another part of the, um, the company that's like really secretive and nobody knows what goes on in devs. And uh, anyway, after his very first day on the new job in devs, Sergey disappears. It's very trippy and like paranoid and it looks brilliant and it's deadly. It's very engrossing. I'm loving brilliant. it. It's basically being tri- described as a techno thriller. Where are you watching this? It's stuff? a bit like if you took Silicon Valley, removed every scrap of humor, and instead brought it into a weird, um, kind of uh, reminds me a lot of Annihilation, that movie on Netflix. Remember, Annihilation came out last year, and um, it has uh, Natalie Portman in it. And do you do you watch it? I didn't watch it. No. Oh my god, it's brilliant! I wonder if it's still on there. Annihilation, absolutely like freaked me the fuck out um I just Does I think all my, I don't want lots of people are like I'm comforting Covid content all I want is sort of horrific terrifying stuff
1: tell me about ah. That.
0: oh my god no way I just did a quick google it reminds me of Annihilation because Annihilation was also directed by Alex Garland okay Anyway, um, I'm watching devs illegally. I hold my hands up. I cannot find how to legally stream it anywhere. And I tell you, I'm trying to pay for my content. But anyway, I think it's well worth um, tracking down. It's great. Brilliant. And there's no shortage of time. So it's not like anyone's wasting time on stuff. And obviously, I'm in the middle of season two of Six Feet Under as well. Really holds up. Beautiful. Absolutely love it. That's quite a lot to digest. Do you have anything to pay yeah no bet in or anything oh just unorthodox that's all i've kind of
1: managed to i don't i just can't be i am fucking short on time i'm short on time
0: no it is it is true you're right the parents of this pandemic don't have a goddamn minute
1: no i can't if i see one more
0: person talking about a project to fill the hours i'm just like please check your privilege (laughs) (laughs) and what i do really want is a podcast Okay. Now, I've gone absolutely deep into the back catalogue of um, "I'm Grand Uh Have you ever gotten on board with "I'm Grandma"? No, but I hear it's brilliant. It's absolutely delightful. I just love it, and um, so that's, I suppose, providing my escapism. I'm just kind of oscillating between "I'm Grandma" and then the daily. Perfect. Just to really anything for the bin this week. Fill me with dread, my friend. Again. I want people to take the hint about Instagram live but they're refusing to and then it's getting worse in a terrible twist somebody invited me onto an Instagram live and um I felt obliged to say yes funnily enough right um they asked me if I'd do an Instagram live with them and I was like oh this is really gonna ruin my cred I've done nothing but complain about this but equally, they're very generous to me. These people, so I said, okay. And then they said, great. And I said, I'm just busy on Thursday. Can't do Thursday. They got back to me, okay, April fifteenth. They have
3: April obviously got,
0: 15th. got their Instagram live scheduled at the Inyak. So I'm actually having to take Insta lives out of the bin from last week. Just. For the duration of my own Insta Live debut, and then I'll be putting it back in the bin.
1: Can't be bidding things at the moment for my own fragile mental health. If really. I start bidding something, my whole world will turn into a black hole. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like um, it's like if you were to pull the plug on the bath. Exactly. Your entire exactly. life, you would like it to just be sucked down that drain. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, that's where I'm at now. It's that just a a bleak analogy. Oh of everything i need
0: everything to be in the bin so anyway that's it i do want to bin the people who are like giving me advice on how i should be feeling during the pandemic but you know what it's just it is just it there's a fuckload of feelings out there i know listen. and we're all just wading through them and we yes. just i know i'm saying this basically only for myself i know i need to be kinder to okay. people and their feelings. Okay. Sophie. So be nicer. Yes. But you've been nice on this podcast, which has been it has been a pleasure to record with you today. It certainly has. And um, I hope to do it again with you next time. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And don't forget to head on over to roadcollective.ie where a fresh batch of freshly baked content is just out of the oven. Um, we have Louise Bruton who has a beautiful meditation on absent friends and missing people right now. We also have uh, an interview from me with award-winning author Sarah Baum who let me into her home this month to browse her shelves and she tells me about her life as a creative, an artist and crafter We also welcome Andrea Cleary as a contributor this week to Rogue Collective. Andrea has written a beautiful piece about finding joy in the analogue during this time of self-isolation where many of us are digitally hyper-connected, but perhaps missing that tactile experience.